Hey everybody. As we head into season seven, we were hoping you'd do us a favor. We've left a survey link in the show notes and we're hoping that you would pop over there and tell us who you are and what you want to hear about next. Thanks so much. This week, before we get started, we want to thank Kim, an optometrist in rural Pennsylvania, who says she has found solace in listening to these stories. We are so glad this has been helpful to you, Kim, and we are grateful for your help in creating more episodes. Hi, I'm Wendy Dean. And I'm Simon Talbot. And this is Moral Matters. So we have had a... uh, busy season, to say the least, Um, and our schedules continue to get busier as the world opens up again. And so uh, I have to apologize for not being available for some of our episodes and uh, thank Wendy for stepping in um, where I was unavailable. I think that's part of being a team, right? You sort of step in. (laughs) I mean, patient care does still come first. Correct. (laughs) But it does make it it does make it more challenging to do things like producing a podcast. Mm-hmm. And so we're trying to think of different ways that we're going to approach the next season. But before we let you in on some of our thoughts coming up, it might make sense for us to just rehash what's been going on in the background when we're not recording the podcast. That's right. So on April the 4th was the book launch of If I Betray These Words. And uh, it's been phenomenally successful already. Wendy, do you want to give some statistics? (laughs) So at one point it reached number 784, I think that was, which sounds like it's a really, really low number. But the publisher was with us on the day that that happened. And he said, take a screenshot because that's really rare. Um, It just it is unbelievable how hard it is to sell books consistently. But we've managed to, between the hardcover and the audiobook, we're still number four and number six in health policy after launching at number one. So that seems like a pretty good thing. We were, what, two months out now, and we're still selling pretty strongly. Yeah, yeah, no, it's great. And uh, we really appreciate all the people who listen, who've gone out and bought the book, and especially those people uh, who have sent us messages and uh, told us uh, some of the things that they're experiencing as well. Yeah. And every time I go somewhere, someone will comment on the book. And some of our favorite reviews were, you know, a veterinarian, not even a physician, but a veterinarian read it and said, it's a phenomenal book. There was a physician in the U.S. who said, it's a fantastic articulation of what ails us. And even a reader from the U.K. who said, it's a cathartic read. So all things that we didn't really, I don't know, I didn't expect it. Um, I felt like this information had to get consolidated into one place for people to find it all easily. But I, I guess I, did, I didn't even really think about how people would respond to it when mm-hmm. they read it. Yeah. So, Simon, we talked a minute ago about the fact that it's, it's getting harder for us to um, always be on the podcast all the time. Um, it's also we're getting busier. And so we thought it was time to add another voice 
to the podcast and to our team. Right. So we want to welcome Kimmy Fleming Peterson to our uh, group. And uh, Kimmy, you're on the, the call with us. Do you want to introduce yourself? Yes, I would love to introduce myself. Uh, so like they said, I'm Kimmy Fleming Peterson. I am a clinical psychologist by training. Um, Let's see, I completed my training at the University of Missouri, my internship and postdoc at the University of Kansas Medical Center. And since that time, I've had a lot of experience working in medical settings, uh, in the hospital, on med surge floors, in clinics, uh, right alongside physicians, nurses, and all the folks who make healthcare run. My specialty areas are integrated behavioral health, uh, which is exactly what it sounds like, where psychologists and medical providers are working in the same clinics with the same patients addressing, addressing uh, issues simultaneously. Um, and I came to be interested in moral injury and came to you know, have a conversation with, uh, with Wendy through my work uh, in the hospitals and in particular on, uh, you know, various employment or employee wellness committees, uh, where I was in, in the room where, uh, you know, stakeholders in the hospital, the people up high in the C-suite were talking about, you know, distress in the workforce and what's going on with doctors and nurses and, you know, why are people leaving? Why are people burnt out? Why, why are, is the mental health of our staff suffering? And I got to sit in on these conversations and kind of understand at a really close level um, what the differences were between what the executives were thinking and what uh, what the experiences of you know actual healthcare providers on the ground were. And there's such a great chasm there. Uh, and I started to understand that you know burnout was not the whole answer to what was going on. There was something else at play, and I, I wasn't quite sure what it was. And I heard Wendy speak. I heard about about moral injury. And, uh, you know, since that time have been very interested in being a part of the solution. Great. Well, welcome. And uh, thank you, Kimmy. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on board. So Simon and Kimmy, since we haven't had a chance to talk about the last two episodes, do we want to do that now? Yeah, let's go through these. So last time uh, I wasn't here, but we spoke with uh, Daniel Bloomberg and Jeremy Green separately. And uh, I guess we can just uh, uh, talk about some of the themes that are common to those uh, episodes. Sure. So, you know, when I listened to the conversation with uh, Daniel Bloomberg, and I've spoken to other folks in the area of law enforcement, there are some really strong parallels between healthcare and law enforcement in the uh, way that individuals involved uh, experience moral injury. As I was speaking with Dan, I was thinking it's really high stakes situations. It, it can be life and death, but there's also the challenge of the context in which each different profession is practicing, right? So law enforcement shades a little bit more towards the military, even though they're trying to demilitarize police forces they still have that use of lethal force as part of the spectrum of what they do. And in healthcare, we don't have that. So that was one of the distinguishing differences between the two. But I'm curious what you, Simon and Kimmy, think about how healthcare and law enforcement is similar. I think the striking thing for me when I hear folks talking in law enforcement is how fundamental morality is to the work that's being done. 
And I think that's very much true in other areas that we see moral injury as well, not just healthcare, but things like uh, the public defenders, uh, things like teaching. There are all sorts of aspects where morality underpins it, and that's where moral injury is most uh, rife, I think. Yeah. I thought your conversation about dehumanization and how how that works uh, in, in the police force, thinking about that and how that could extend and does extend to medicine, that was an interesting bridge to me that I wasn't totally expecting to uh, to make. And you know what he what he was saying was that in order to do their job, a police officer cannot kind of internalize everything that's happening all the time because if they were to do so, it would be so overwhelming. You know, they wouldn't be able to you know to go on and to do their job. So by definition, for them to do their job, they they kind of have to detach the human being from the situation. And I do feel that, you know, physicians face a a very similar situation. Yeah, I agree. You know, one other thing that I I thought um, was really interesting in your conversation, Wendy, that has come up with several different situations was uh, the discussion about those folks who don't feel any moral injury in situations where you would anticipate them to be bothered. Those folks who fail to see that their action is a moral transgression don't struggle with this nearly so much. And I always find that sort of an interesting contrast to the majority of people that we speak to who are really troubled by this stuff. Right. Right. I I think we have to acknowledge that there may be those people in every profession, Mm -hmm. even in medicine, even in healthcare, but they're few and far between. Yes. So what about Jeremy Green? What did you think about the history of technology and what it tells us about the current day. Well, I was so fascinated by this because one of the very early experiences that sort of got me interested in moral injury was with some of the groups that were discussing the electronic health record and the challenges this created. And I think an awful lot of people who were very troubled by the electronic health record were blaming that for many of the things that were going on. And in many ways, that's a symptom of what's going on rather than the fundamental cause of it. So I was fascinated to hear all the issues, you know, leading up from telephones all the way to the electronic health record. I loved this conversation. I thought it, it uh, I was thinking about it for, for days after <laughs> I listened to it. And one of the, the um, a bridge that I was making between, you know, the episode with Dan Blumberg and the one with Jeremy Green was thinking about metrics where you know we're talking about the electronic health record and who benefits from it who who who's making the decisions and why and one thing that we do understand is that the healthcare organizations want data they want to be able to know uh, you know different things with a certain degree of granularity and the impetus for that is put on the provider to document all of it and to check the right boxes and to do all of that in a certain period of time uh, and I, I noticed, you know, thinking about the episode with Dan, where he was saying, you know, there's some evidence that having more metrics leads to more dehumanization, mm. thinking about the fact that, you know, physicians, police officers are all people who are prone to all of these, these, you know, psychological uh, processes that, yeah, if you're spending more time, you know, thinking about which boxes to check and did I do this and is the red banner gone and all of these things, you are not able to pay attention to the person in front of you in the way that you could if that if that wasn't there. So I, I thought to me that the, the way that the electronic health record creates a disconnect between the physician and the patient, sometimes in the room, a literal physical barrier 
between the two and thinking about the ramifications that that has for the relationship and for patient care down the line, and even for how physicians feel uh, in, in terms of, again, their own morality in the situation. How connected am I to this patient? How much attention am I able to pay to them? I just, I see all of these consequences coming from, you know, the, the primacy of the electronic medical record. Yeah, you know, it was really interesting. I was just listening to a podcast with Ezra Klein, who was talking with a policymaker, and she worked in the government and helped with health.gov, right? And what she said was, all these ideas always come with good intentions. So, for example, all of the data that has to be put into the EMR came with good intentions. But what happened was that when loads and loads of federal agencies saw the potential in EMRs to scrape data for improvement, they started asking for more and more things, more and more tick boxes to be put into the forms that we fill out. And so it came with a good intent. It has had an unexpected outcome, but we've been slow to kind of rethink and reanalyze whether it all those things make sense. And Wendy, here's the other good intent, is that oftentimes when physicians say, hey, I've got too much work on my plate or I can't get through this or I'm struggling, we often throw technology at them as the solution. Mm. And I did like the line um, that Jeremy used, which was that the labor is never reduced. It's just transferred somewhere else. And so I think that's been a fascinating thing that's happened with a lot of the technology we've used is that, hey, if I can work 10% faster, now let's put 10% more patients in my clinic. Yeah. That may not be the best solution. Um, it may be that if I work 10% faster, now I can spend 10% more time with people. And that's the disconnect that technology often has when people use it as a solution for the problems. For sure. You know, I, I always I tend to think about these things from the lens of a psychologist, and I, I can't, can't think about this technology. And I'm thinking about, you know, physicians, they have the electronic medical record on their smartphone. It's with them where, wherever they are, and depending on, on, on that person and what, what they're going through and what the pressures are on them. You know, they, and I've seen physicians do this. They're like on their phone, looking at the electronic medical record when, you know, you're out at dinner and you're, you know, out with your family or something like that. It is, you know, these same issues that we have at a societal level with being available all the time and being connected all the time with the added stacked pressure that comes with the job of a physician. And I can imagine how, difficult it is for a lot of folks to say no and to, you know, to have a boundary and to cut themselves off. Well, I think what was really interesting, and I think we talked about it, was how when telephones came out, people just thought that they were a good thing. And then eventually somebody sued a physician for not being available by phone. And I think that's in the back of everyone's mind. Can I actually set that boundary? Or is the expectation now that I'm always available? Yes. And this is, I, I think, talk, talking about this, I think something that you and, and Jeremy did not talk about, but I was thinking about uh, while listening to the podcast was the introduction of, you know, different incentives related to patient satisfaction that, you know, physicians are increasingly under. And part of how that is playing out for some folks is being incentivized for responding quickly to inbox messages from patients, kind of re regardless of the the acuity of the situation or anything like that, it is a matter of you know responding very quickly and getting you know higher patient satisfaction ratings. And this is a part of the conversation that I was hearing more and more about in the last couple of years. Uh, 
it concerns me a great deal in this space. Yeah, we're all really good about being good students and doing what we what we're incentivized to do, and it, it's very hard for people to to turn around and say, "What's the flip side on this? What's uh, what are the downsides to being available twenty four seven and working for those little gold stars that we work for?" I mean, there's a there's a lot of downsides to that kind of stuff. I did like the discussion with Jeremy about some of the better systems, particularly some of the early EHR systems that people really loved, uh, because I can confidently say I'm not a huge fan of some of the EHRs I use, but I remember the original system that we used when we went from paper to a DOS-based system, and you had a a, a real visceral joy is the wrong word, but a, a, a really positive reaction to using some of the stuff because it was designed by frontline clinicians. And yeah. you could, you, you know, this was a rock solid system where if there was a problem, you went to someone and they, and they fixed it for you and they knew, they knew this system inside out. And the system we had would even give you a little birthday message on your birthday made out of little stars and X marks and stuff like that. Um, it was actually a system that, that felt personal. Um, I yeah. think the depersonalization of our systems um, is, uh, is one of the things that's taken that uh, pleasure of using those systems away. Yeah. And that, that reminds me of, it takes me back to Jerry Mueller talking about measuring what matters and involving frontline folks in developing the proper metrics and understanding why we're using them and retiring them when they're no longer useful. Um, but, and, and remembering that the more, the more we metricize something, the more we dehumanize it. Yeah. And yeah. that's the last thing we want to do in medicine. Yeah. Well, Wendy, should we talk a little bit about where we're headed next? Absolutely. So uh, one of the things that we have been working on over the last almost a year now is a group from George Washington University, the Institute for Healthcare Improvement and ourselves, uh, along with the American Federation of Teachers, together working as a group called the Workplace Change Collaborative. The website is wpchange.org. And we'll have that in the show notes. So the great thing about that group of folks is the group came together in response to a grant from HRSA, the Health Resources Services Agency. And we've been asked to develop a framework for burnout and moral injury in healthcare workers and public safety workers. And so it's been an amazing project getting so many different perspectives on how work in those fields is impacting the, the workforce. Mm-hmm. And then to think from each of those different perspectives, how do we move toward better? And so we're hoping that in the next few months, the framework that we've been working on will be available on that website, wbchange.org. Right. Um, we are also traveling quite a bit through the summer and fall, uh, speaking about moral injury, as many of you will already know from having attended various different uh, talks. So we'll be speaking at the American Academy of Physicians in Chicago in October, and then at the American Association of Medical Colleges in Seattle in early November. And we'll be in Los Angeles and New England and Hawaii and on several virtual stages in the next couple of months. So as always, uh, please sign up for our newsletter if you'd like to know more about upcoming events and breaking news. And we're working on season seven. 
So if there's someone that you want to hear on the show, send a note to info at moralinjury.healthcare. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Thank you for joining us for Moral Matters. Our producer is Dave Young at Widget Studios. If you'd like to contribute, please visit our website, fixmoralinjury.org, where you can find donation links on every page. While you're there, browse through the pages and pages of resources we've cataloged. You can also help by spreading the word and encouraging conversations, share the episodes with friends and colleagues, or use the social media links in the show notes and tag us. We'd love to hear and see your thoughts. Plus, if you subscribe, rate, and review the show, that makes it easier for new listeners to find us. Kimmy, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I look forward to being on with you next season. Thank you for listening. Stay well. Stay well.